Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Locked Down Podcast with Kayla Williams and Taylor Parsons. Cybersecurity encompasses so many facets of business risk. Wrapping your head around it can be overwhelming and stressful. Join us to learn how to tie cybersecurity strategy to overall corporate objectives and best business practices while gaining an understanding of technical and non-technical approaches to security and privacy, regardless of tenure in the field. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Bryson, first, thanks for sitting down with us. I know it's a busy day. We can see all the activity going around this week. Obviously, I've followed you for a long time. Great introduction to you from Kayla. I think most of our viewers know you. If you'd love to do a quick introduction, just your background, and then we'll dive in. Really want to talk about the importance of pen tests and why that's evolved over the last couple of years and what some of the, with the technology advancements, things like AI, those types of inferences, especially around the market right now, machine learning, all those things, why you feel pen testing has to evolve and why as practitioners, executives, and as security leaders, we have to adopt to that type of change. I feel like you just pen tested my brain by dosing me with all of the questions all at once for the entire interview. I think at the start though, you were looking for an introduction. Yes, sir. So fist bump, boom, yeah. thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I'm Bryson Borg. I'm the CEO and founder of Scythe. We are a next generation threat emulation platform. I founded a cybersecurity consultancy that does offensive security, risk assessments and consulting called Grim. I'm the co-founder of the ICS Village with Tom Van Norman. We're here at RSA at the Sandbox. We've been doing this since the beginning of the Sandbox in 2015. So love continually being a part of RSA and continuing the mission of educating folks on critical infrastructure security. Where does your lights and water come from? We all in that. We have our own conference, Hack the Capital, May 10th and 11th in McLean, Virginia. You're welcome to come and join us, but it's also available virtually. And then before I run out of breath and pass out, I am the Senior Technical Advisor at the Institute for Security and Technology, which are best known for standing up the ransomware task force a couple of years ago. Amazing, wonderful background. Honestly, I got goosebumps because you speak to a lot of experiences and a lot of diverse roles, right? You've done a lot, you've seen a lot, you've experienced a lot. You're touching critical infrastructure, you've touched web app pen testing, you've touched the education, the training of the users, the expanding the security profile beyond the normal thinking. Kayla and I were actually talking, we were out on the balcony earlier, right across from Out on the South. balcony, not out on a cliff. Not okay, out good, on a cliff, good, not good. this Glad week. Yeah, not this week. One of the things that we talked about that you actually talk, hit on already is the d- diversity of thought. And when I think of diversity of thought, I think it's about talent, I think it's about thought process, I think about, it's about educational background, cultural background, those types of things. How have you seen diversity of thought impact the way that you lead your penetration testing teams or your organizations as a whole? Yeah, so I'm gonna first kind of step back and frame that within the D, E, I, and A concept. Absolutely. One of our challenges in security is one of imagination. Okay. Compliance is the foundation. And I get a lot of folks in our industry, particularly I'm a lead hacker pen tester who are like, ah, compliance. You know what? You don't even get to pen test or have a job if there isn't compliance. It is the existential foundation to that company getting a wake up, 
go to work, pay your paycheck. So it's absolutely necessary there, but security is the next level. It is the investment in thinking and imagination on top of that. I know we all love all this nerd stuff and we love nerding out, but it's people that make that happen. It's people who have to do thinking. Still, AI hasn't taken it yet. <laughs> it's coming for us, but it's not there yet. ChatGPT 11? Yeah. <laughs> I figured they're going to come up with some, the, the, by the point that it actually does it, the, by the point that it actually does it, the AI is going to have created some number that humans can't comprehend. And so. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's ChatGPT apocalypse. That's how we'll refer to it as we live in our caves, hiding from the machines. What was there's a, there, there's <laughs> a video game about that, by the way. There's also a movie, that was The Terminator, right? Yeah. Skynet is coming. And so it's people still. In fact, I did a tweet last night where I was joking that humans will always want to press a button. And it ties into to artificial intelligence. And we're going to get more into AI later. But back to this still starts with people and people's imagination. Groupthink puts you back into the same checklist mindset as, secure, as compliance, but you're now just trying to go for security. And so you will fail the same way. We have to think like the threat. We have to think with imagination. One of my favorite examples that I love bringing into my talks and my classes was the Sands Hotel breach in 2014 by the Iranian guard where they got in through the fish tank. You're the Sands Hotel with all of this casino and money. And your security is probably Fort Knox. Meanwhile, you have this multi-million dollar fish tank, which I don't know a lot about multi-million dollar fish tanks, but I'm going to assume that you really do care that investment, the water stays clean and it's the right temperature. Absolutely. And you're not gonna have some tech bubba sitting there like a pool manager checking it every 30 minutes. So you have sensors to do that. Right. So this probably three person shop that is manning this fish tank, <laughs> probably got sensors going back to the basically whatever their cousin set up to a server and that's how they got in and the point of this is one of imagination where the Iranian revolutionary guard figured out how to compromise that get into the fish tank and then those sensors talked into the SANS network and it cost the estimate is it cost 30 to 40 million dollars because of the damaged operations from that breach that's imagination and that's the way the threat thinks so the point tying this back to diversity is we need diversity of thought because whether you're neurodivergent, whether you're normal but you come from a different background, and that background can be of any number of variables of who we are and how we were raised that allows us to just think differently. And the thing that I would continue to challenge this community on is we're still feeling like we got over the first step by being diverse. No, inclusion. Just because you've been given a seat at the table doesn't mean you've been given a voice at the table. And that is a responsibility of all of us to be allies and to create safe space and the support to allow those voices to be heard so that we do allow the imagination to come in and then we can benefit from doing it. Absolutely. It's not common practice yet, I would say. I've seen companies do it very well. I've seen individuals do it very well. I've seen job recs change to have the ability to pull in a more diverse pool, right? Dropping college requirements, loosening up some of the, the years in service, mm. military background, so years in service, years in grade are, are big for me. I, I think that's genius because it, it does expand the amount of people that you get in the application. And I don't think that even if someone's not qualified, I don't think that it's 
always ever been a bad interview. I think that no matter who you're talking to, you come away with something and they come away with something. And I think that, but tie this back to pen testing, I think it's the same way, right? I, in my day-to-day -day job, I represent customers. I bring customer issues and I talk to the engineers so they don't have to, or I talk to internal security so they don't have to. And then I translate our geek talk back to customer facing documentation or words that they're gonna accept and not argue with us. Wait, are you the guy who takes the requirements from the customer to the engineers? I am. It's a great job. <laughs> did you try out for the role in office space? I did. I did. I didn't have enough beard back then. Oh, um, fair I, enough. More beard? More beard now. More gravitas? Uh, absolutely. So one of the things, so you know, obviously we had scheduling issues. Kayla and I's theme this week is pivoting. Okay. So we brought in Dr. Chaz Lester, big threat researcher, tremendous background. We started talking about pen testing and the requirement of organizations. Obviously, I'm sure you could go on about that for days, but one of the things that we really wanted to bring to you and talk to you about is with the evolution of AI, with the evolution of large language models, the ChatGPTs, the BARDs, things mm -hmm. like that, one of, the, one of the things that we really stumbled upon is what about the ethical issues as we look to automate or we look to continuously pen test? As a leader, do you foresee any challenges or any issues as we continuously market AI, ML and into the security space. What's the ethical question in there? When, when AI, as in pen tests, right? Okay. From my scope and what I've always observed, you have the unscoped pen test where you bring someone in and you say, I want to know all the bad things. Okay. And then you have the scoped pen test. Hey, I want you to come in and I only want you to test our API or I only want you to test our web application. And a lot of that seems to be standard operating procedure. You've got a script that you follow, but in Unscope, there's oftentimes like the human element that people don't take into account. Ah, so this is true. You can get to the, what is the lure? What is the phishing Absolutely. approach that I'm doing? And yeah, they're, I, okay, I'm checking, all right. So do you see any potential for AI to expound the bands of ethical issues with inside pen testing or as you're looking at the market going forward, are there things that we potentially are eyebrow raising for you? Sure, so let's set the foundation of the scope of what we're talking about because pen testing can have a particular meaning or it can be a broad concept. We have on the Scythe blog, and this is something because we're always about the part of engaging the community and we brought in a lot of community voices to helping do this and it anchors our purple team exercise framework that we built. Version three was just released by George Orchias here at RSA. Again, part of the community effort. And so we have this ethical hacking maturity model and it starts with vulnerability scanning to vulnerability assessment to then what we call penetration testing, which is looking at initial access or unauthorized system access. Okay. And then from there, purple teaming, adversary emulation, and red team. And the reason we have them in those order is the initial maturity in the industry going back 20 years was primarily vulnerability scanning and vulnerability assessment. I know thing misconfiguration. I know that there is end day, there's an exploit, there is proof of concept code that this could happen to gain initial access. Penetration testing is a deeper dive discipline. I'm, I'm looking at all of the possibilities for how I get it. And that can be anything from as complex from like a nation state perspective of the entire chain of I am fuzzing code to understand what those vulnerabilities are, triaging and harvesting those vulnerabilities to then weaponize. And what weaponize means is 
if you want to be good at this, it really doesn't help to have done all of that effort to find a possible thing in the code to throw it and then most of the time it blue screens. That kind of <laughs> gives you away and burns your own tradecraft. So weaponization is taking it where I can enumerate and guarantee that when I do try to take the code that I throw to try to take advantage of that vulnerability, that exploit will reliably land in a quiet manner. Because if I'm not stealthy, then I've already given up the game, even if I've gotten access most of the time. And then the, I think the part that's also, that's interesting, and I think this is where a lot of people first started to know me over the years where I took the red teaming and offensive security community to task was around where I was pushing for the concepts of purple teaming and adversary emulation. So the reason we say purple teaming first is at this point, the community project that I did with George Urchias and Adam Ashinchi, Adam's over at a Red Canary, called the C2 Matrix, where we have cataloged over 100 free and commercial command and control tools for you to be able to replicate those, the, those threat behaviors. Red Canary has put out the Atomic Red Team, which is I just wow. I love Atomic Red Team. We're contributors to it. It is a great starting point. It is a free, easy starting point. You do not need to be elite hacker. You, you could be just like, I know how to turn on a computer and install and follow instructions, and you are generating a very good but basic level of a threat signal. So purple teaming now is something that is accessible to you in the beginning. And instead of the, well, hey, because back in the day, you used to hire the pen tester to come and tear up your code. You used to hire the red teamer to come and tear up your enterprise. And everybody knew it's like, we know we're going to lose. There, we know it's happening. And uh, two to four weeks later, the report shows up. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I don't have time to fix this. And we know we're going to lose. And a year comes back and they come back around and it's the same thing. And on the offensive security side, it gets to be demoralizing because our job is not to win. Right. We are not here to win or to have an ego or to beat the business. We're not making the business better. Get out. You're not helping. You've got to be a part of it. And that's why I like purple team because most folks, again, on this maturity matrix where we're saying this is a thing to grow to, that's a starting point. We're going to be transparent. You can start with something simple like Atomic Red Team. You can agree together what's the scope. We're going to do it on just one computer to start so we can get an idea of like how does our EDR actually work. Surprising how few people know how an EDR <laughs> actually works. Well, here's a way for you to start to get to see that. What actually gets logged? And not just at the host. What gets logged at the host? What then is the telemetry that's sent to your SIM or whatever your other repository is? What's the timing of that telemetry? All this stuff on evals, everyone's just looking at, do I see these things? And not recognizing that's not the only way to be looking at EDRs. And you're doing it together. So the folks who are full-time in the trenches in security operations, get a peek easily at kind of some ideas into TTPs and we're fixing it as we go. At the end of a day, you fix things and you have measurable progress. So that's why we put purple teaming there. And then the reason we actually moved adversary emulation ahead of red teaming was that same kind of concept of, I want a data-driven defense. Okay, business demands it, my executives and my security team demands it. What does that mean? That data is the threat, that threat signal. So adversary emulation is going, okay, we're going beyond atomic red team. Because atomic red team is not adversary emulation. And the reason for that is the same way we see MITRE attack framework being abused by everyone, right? <laughs> First point, MITRE attack framework is a revolutionary change to this entire space. For the first time, somebody was able to put together a way for us to commonly define what a threat was. And then everything else that is brilliant and simple 
it was abused. And it has been, has been termed, as I've been quoted, and I said this at MITRE ATTACK on a number of years ago, it became a bingo card. Did. And we have breach and attack simulation vendors going, we ran that technique, you're green, check. We ran that technique, green, check. Here's why it fails. So the same way that MITRE ATT&CK is able to give us a common vernacular to describing threats is the same way that the periodic table gives us elements to describe our physical world. Hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen, carbon. That's what Atomic Red Team does too, right? I'm doing hydrogen and then I'm doing oxygen. I love Bruce Lee and the attacker shows up like water. Because what it is, I didn't steal credentials to go check. I stole credentials, you saw it, you stopped it, move on, no. I'm an attacker. I stole credentials. I am that user at that asset at that point with these relationships to these things in your network that have context to you and your business. So when I stole credentials, this is then the next move in moving it laterally. There is host to host activity. There is host to network activity. There's lateral movement as a campaign builds. That is a chemical equation where I'm putting these attack elements in order and that's an attack. That's adversary emulation. So I'm replicating a very specific threat. I can do that in a red or a purple approach. And then where we say that red teaming is the final evolution, that's the weapons free, right? You have earned your way to it. And now the red team can go, we have done so much. Let's go back to that diversity and imagination. Come at us, man. Come at us, team. Let's see what we can do. Let's see how much really is open. Yeah, let's let's play the wild card. Have you, ever, have you ever seen the TV show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yes. And Charlie, like the gang comes up with a plan and they've got all their, they've gone through all of their drama and they got the plan and then Charlie just goes, wild card, and completely blows everything up. Yeah. That's earning that level of confidence that you can get a red team to do. Hey, we're gonna wild card. We're gonna do things a threat wouldn't do because they might, it's imagination. And we've earned our way to it. Whereas if we start doing that early in the cycle, I'm just shooting myself in the foot and giving myself harder work as opposed to earning my way to. You don't know what's going to be seen because it hasn't been seen yet. Yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing. Every time I see media about you, I'm always learning something new. <laughs> Bruce Lee, I didn't pick up one in the past, but now I have. I know they're really short on time, and I think one of the things that, you know, as Kayla and I have been doing the podcast, we've really been looking for things that at the executive level, at the technical level, at middle management, practitioner, whatever you want to call it, we always want to come away with something where we can be just that much better. We can communicate that much better. Yep. We can do things that are going to make that much more progress or make that much more of a difference. We're often looking for hot takes or things that you would, you know, one thing you that you would me up. I feel it. I feel it coming. <laughs> I got a stretch. Yes. Hot, uh, take, stre hot, hot take stretch. Like yeah. yoga. So hot take. From your experience in your past, I would like to challenge you to a hot take that practitioners or security professionals can do to better message or better align to executive leadership to make them understand the importance of situations we just talked about. Ooh, okay, you narrowed it. I was about to say I get to do a broad hot take, man. You're bringing in these <laughs> two executives. Hmm. I didn't see that curveball coming to the very end. <laughs> I had my hot take building. I thought we were going with what we talked about beforehand, but I, that doesn't matter to executives. Uh, I had to play the ace. I had yeah. to play it. Pocket ace. So I'm going to invoke a method I learned on the fly. Okay. It's 2018, courtesy of the Public Republic, People's Republic of China. 
I have been flown to Beijing to participate in the uh, Chinese and Russian uh, conference on internet freedom. Just, just let that joke <laughs> marinate for a bit, but with a straight face, right? Yes. I, I got in late that night. Next morning, I'm thrown up on stage. I wasn't prepared for this. I didn't know I was being brought up on stage. I had never seen a room this big in my entire life. I don't know where these people came from because it was literally beyond my eyesight out into a thing that was in, yeah. You wow. can imagine that outside in the world. You're like, I can't see over the Earth's curvature. I think the Earth's curvature was inside this room and it, it was completely packed you. with people. A vice minister from China was our moderator. Okay. There was a GRU representative and there was me. Okay. The vice minister came right at me, right? I've never been in front of this many people. I'm jet lagged. I'm not ready. I didn't know what that's going on and I'm up on stage and he starts coming at me to like try to get me to do a propaganda soundbite. So the whole setup of that story is I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to answer the question I want to, which Absolutely. is what is my hot take? My hot take <laughs> is that threat intelligence is a $10 billion industry that keeps leading us to failure in a groundhog's day approach. Just walk through the life cycle. And again, it's not because there aren't really smart people. It's not because threat research isn't absolutely vital. We just talked through all the cycles of it. We need to understand the threat to be able to do that. Right. But here's the thing, right? That that I just described is all at the top of the pyramid of pain of David Bianco. What mostly is happening is an analyst six months ago at one of the vendors finds a thing. An analyst six months ago finds a thing at a vendor, correlates it that there's two other issues at other customers and it takes about six months to work that all the way through to where they feel comfortable to push it in as a corporate baseline to your AV or your EDR. And the whole point of that is that they're assured that they don't cross the line of security ever impacting actual operations. Because if I block a thing that might be malicious here, but might be benign here, I'm ripped out, game over, you're done. Calling Sepco. <laughs> bring us in. Yeah, bring them in. Yep. JJ, JJ, I hope you're watching this. Get JJ on the phone. Get JJ on the phone. I was going to do a JJ impression, but I decided not to. <laughs> I'm not going to be that hot. And so that's not their fault, but that is a $10 billion industry that puts us in a Groundhog's Day of, because all I can do to do that safely is this IP, this domain, this file signature of no malware. That's it. Right. That's $10 billion that I like it because it's machine readable. It takes the anti off with no complexity and I don't have to worry about it breaking anything. And the really cool stuff, that threat research, right? Those are those awesome 40 to 60 page reports. I, I tried this, I printed one off and put it on a computer and it didn't get any better. This, in fact, this is what I do for a living. This is what Scythe does. We turn those reports into a button click where you are not doing stale things you're doing that real purple team adversary emulation and red teaming again to your scope, your appetite, all safely and best in class. You said I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that you are making threat intelligence real because you've got to drive that signal through your environment so we don't make the same mistake of possibly breaking something. Right. But then again, we're water flowing through so you do know where you stand. Exactly. I appreciate your time today. I definitely have to go back and rethink some things. Agree to disagree on threat research. I agree that threat research is 
wildly important. Yep. I think it's also unpredictable. Yep. I, I think it's ever evolving. Yep. And I agree with you that there is stagnant or stale information that we're often reacting to or taking action on that might not impact my sector, it might not impact my organization. And I do think that there's a revolution coming to that, or at least I hope, but really appreciate your time today. Again, know you're busy. The, the executive suite we got that you're here in RSA and look forward to seeing you in the future. All right, thanks man. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Locked Down Podcast with Kayla Williams and Taylor Parsons, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.